Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And I did not ask Randy to read the text he read this morning. But again, I, I am always amazed that although there is no consultation, how God brings the text together for his own purposes, as we shall see this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, reading verses 4 through 6. And I will suggest to you that the only reason that we will be able to get through this this morning is because I'm going to jump over a lot of things, which is not the right thing to do, I confess right away. But it's a great, great text, and I trust that God will use it for our strengthening this morning. Ephesians 4, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord... One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. May God bless his word to our hearts this morning. Let us pray. Father, I pray that not my idea of the word, but your meaning of the word will be related related to the people this morning, that God's Spirit who inspired God's Word will be our teacher, and that, Father, the Word of God presented this morning will be received as that from a man who is committed, Lord, to do and to say what God has said. To this end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned this morning to... Uh, those who met with me for prayer, that last night I listened to a, a message on this text from a Chinese pastor. And it was interesting to me because this Chinese pastor, as he was speaking, talked about the fact that one would think that in a Chinese church, where everyone has the same height, the same size, the same idea, that there wouldn't be any difficulty at all. But sure enough, there are. I remember several years ago when I was on the staff of one of the institutes that I attended, a student came to my office and he said to me, um, uh, Mr. Thurton, I want to join a mission board, but I want to join a perfect one. <laughs> so I said to him, well, when you find it, don't join it because its perfection will come to an end. How do we live in the world with one another? I looked for a little bit yesterday morning at the funeral for Whitney Houston. And even at that funeral, there were problems that, that were quite visible. Husbands and wives and children and parents. And this pastor said this last night as I listened to him. How can we overcome our differences to live as one people? That's a gigantic task, ladies and gentlemen. If two people can't live in a house without having conflicts, how in the world 
well, 100 or 200. I feel sorry for pastors. One, one of the pastors that spoke at a conference I was listening to just a few days ago, he has a church of 20,000 members. I wouldn't want it. 20,000. You don't know anybody in the first... Well, I guess I might want it because you wouldn't get to know anybody. That's a fascista statement. Yet when we come to our text this morning, we are told that it is possible. You will recall that verse 3 of Ephesians 4 said to us, do your very best to preserve the unity of the Spirit. So, so the church does not create unity. Christians do not create unity. Unity is a gift from God to us. And what we are supposed to do is to come into that place. And we are supposed to, to, to exercise this with one another. Because it is established on a gift that God has given to each and every one of us as his people. And so what we wanted to ask is, what does unity look like? When unity is, is, is present, what does it look like? So I call this the essence of unity. That which make unity in the relationship with one another, unity at all, is based upon this fact that our unity has been given to us in the Spirit. It is not a physical thing. I think I mentioned to you that when they have meetings at the United Nations, United Nations, that when they sit in a, in, in a room, they have to place the seating charts so that certain nations will not sit beside certain nations. They have to have it so, so that, that, that you will not face, if, if you are a Jew, you will not face a Palestinian. And if you are a, a, a Sudanese, you will not face someone from North Sudan. And so the only place in the world where unity is possible is in the church. That's the only place. And can you imagine, can you imagine the absolute devastation when that unity is affected by the behavior of its members? I was speaking to someone from Toronto yesterday who's still attending the church where I was. And this person said, there's trouble. There's trouble. And, and I was on edge because I really didn't, I didn't want to hear. Uh, I, I don't want to take in information about a situation like that especially if, if there was an item of praise where we can come together. But my heart broke as, as I heard what, what was happening. Why is it that we do not know how to exercise our relationship in this, this thing we call unity? In fact, one of the things I find so interesting is that many people will say, unity is not uniformity, 
Yes, it is. Because we're not talking about what, what kind of clothes we like. We're not talking about what kind of socks we like. <laughs> I, every time I think of that, I, I, I think of the first time my wife and I knew that we were interested in each, in each other. I was leading the singing in a huge auditorium. And when we met after the service, she said, Do you know that your socks didn't match your tie? I never had anyone to be concerned about that before. I just put it on. Unity. What does it look like? Paul suggests that unity looks like a body. Now he's talking about spiritual unity that is expressed. It is physically expressed like a body. And there's only one body, as we heard read from from 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. Only one body. But that body has many parts, but you don't have many bodies. You have one body. It is a unit. Every piece is fitted and, and, and fitted together. They connect to each other. And one part affects another, and no part of that body can say, I don't need that part. You know, I thought of that. Isn't it interesting? Can you imagine coming to church this morning and when you get out of the car, your feet said to your neck, I hate you. (laughs) Or your ear says to your eyes, can't stand you. Isn't that what happens? If, if I understand that I cannot say that of my eyes or my feet or my neck because we are connected, I wouldn't say it. If we are one, whatever I do will, will affect the other part, so I don't say it. See, when he says it's, it's, it's one body, he's saying that the one body of the physical expression is actually the expression of a higher reality, a spiritual, it is called a mystical union, that at, at the point where, where, where we are related in God, related in Christ, when, when for that to happen, here is what Jesus did. For, for him to make us one body, he shed his blood, he died. That's the price he was willing to pay for unity. Not only unity in the church, but unity in the Christian home, the Christian school, in the Christian university. And let me suggest to you, my friends, that when we have a breakdown of this, it is because the the feet are saying, I don't like you, ears. I don't want to sit beside you, tongue. The physical expression. The only thing that God has left in this world that resembles the Trinity is the body. Because it is connected. It is one body. We have only one God. He expresses himself in three persons. Father, Son, Spirit. That's the essence of unity. And the same thing is true with you and me as God's people. What makes us one 
It's not because of the amount of money we give to the church, not because of the education we have, not because we have the same complexion. What makes us one is that the blood of Jesus has been shed and we have been a part of that. And so now he has made us into one body. There's not a Canadian body and an American body and an African body. I'm told that in Haiti, they have a black Jesus on the cross (laughs) because most of the people in Haiti are black. That won't do, friends. Jesus Christ does not represent a certain culture that represents him. He has only one body that represents him, and that is the church. You and me. And when the world is looking for unity, the one place it should look is the church. Sadly, there are other things. What makes this possible? The physical expression is a body. I, 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 I was at the gym Thursday. And, and again, I like this because it just expresses so many things. That, that a certain, certain things you do on the gym, at the gym, is quite unique. And sometimes in order to complete the process of the exercise... It hurts. It hurts. But if I have that goal, if I have that purpose, if I have the drive to go, because I know what the end result will be, I will not be unwilling to pay the price. But we don't pay the price, my friends, In order to make it happen, we pay the price because it has happened. Not to make it happen. So as we go through, this is why Paul says, do everything that is possible to maintain it, not to create it. You're one body. Uh, You want to see something? Go with me to Romans chapter 14, quickly. That was not even in my notes for this morning. But just just a quick word from Romans chapter 14. Look at verse 1. This is what unity is about. Now accept the one who is weak in faith but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak in in faith only eats vegetables. And I look at look, I want you to see this. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. Here it is. And the one who does not eat is not to pass judgment on the one who eats. Do you see that? There are differences even in our our faith walk. But when we come together, even though I may disagree with someone on something here, I accept that one. And the one who is being accepted should not pass judgment on the one who is able to do that. 
Because we do not come together to pass judgment. We come together to display the love and the grace of God one to the other. That's what makes the body a beautiful thing. So where does that come from? Paul goes on to say this. There is one body and that one body has been created by one spirit. This is not the spirit of man. This is the spirit of God. Just as the spirit is a part of the eternal transcendent trinity. He comes. He comes. And he creates in us. He comes and he resides in us in order that he might produce in us the very oneness that exists in the triune God. I mean, that is so high, my friends. That is so deep that I can't even grasp that. That God is saying to you and to me that his spirit has come and he has taken up residence in your life and mine so that we are able to exercise this unity, this uniformity. Again, we're not talking about our clothing, our cars, and and all the other things that we use to measure whether we are alike. It is something higher and deeper than that. We shall see this more in in a few minutes. So, So when we come to this one spirit, God the Holy Spirit is the one who not only is the source of unity, but he's the sustainer of it as we yield to him. As we take God's word and make that the principle for our lives, the spirit is able to maintain this unity because it is his. It's not mine. It is his. There's not one spirit for any one group in any different denomination. There's not one spirit for any one group because of any location. The one spirit who actually came on the day of Pentecost is the spirit who lives in the body of Christ no matter where it is found today so that wherever you go, you will not find a variety of spirits. You will find one spirit. And as I was thinking of that, I thought of the Zechariah. Way back then, the anticipation of this unity Zechariah 4, 6 reads this way. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So that the uniqueness of the church, that it is held together by a source that is beyond itself, yet it is right there present. And the reason we can accept one another without doubtful disputation, as the King James puts it, is because we are relating to one another in the spirit, not in our culture. That's why it is so. Thirdly, there is the physical expression, the body. There's a spiritual energy, the spirit. Now we look at what I call the mutual expectation. We are called to one hope. One hope. <laughs> Not a different hope. And what, what is this hope? Turn with me again, please, to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Titus 2 and verse 11. For by gra- the, the, the grace of God has appeared to 
bringing salvation to all men. Whoever is saved is saved by grace. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope. When you and I are born into the family of God, immediately there is established in us what is called the blessed hope. And the blessed hope is the return of Jesus Christ. Every Christian who truly is born again, if the Spirit is abiding in him or her, that person has a sense of anticipation, expecting Jesus Christ to come again. This is through, throughout the Old Testament. Uh, the New Testament, old as well. But the New Testament, this expectation, this blessed hope, this hope does things for us, my friends, that nothing else can do. I, I, heard, I heard a very interesting story about Diana, the late Diana. I knew that there were certain things happening when Diana married Charles. But I'm told that Diana said in her, someone who's her biographer said this, that when Diana was at the altar, the most difficult part of being there was not so much the gigantic responsibility that was before her as Princess of Wales. The greatest difficulty for Diana at the altar, while kneeling before the Archbishop of Canterbury, was that she knew that her competitor was sitting as a part of that wedding ceremony. That the, the woman that Charles really loved was a, was a guest at the wedding. Think of that. What hope does she have for a future? No hope because she knows that she has a competitor constantly there. And dear friends, you and I have a competitor as well. In this world. And the only thing that will help us to see our way through in spite of the conflicts, in spite of the difficulties, the disappointment, is our hope. Is our hope. That one day Hitler will pay for what he did to six million Jews. That one day that person who disappointed you will have to answer to God. That one day God is going to make everything right as it ought to be. But we do not live in that kind of a world right now. So we have to wait with hope. One of my favorite hymn writers is Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby was blinded by a doctor who misprescribed for her a solution for her eyes. And at six weeks, she lost her sight. Never to see again. One day she was sitting at a camp meeting in New York. And her husband said to her, Do you think that we will know 
Do you think that we will know one another in heaven? Fanny knew why she asked that question. Because she was blind. At that moment, at that moment, the Spirit inspired Fanny Crosby to put this little poem together. When my life's work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer. When I reach the other side, for his smile will be the first to welcome me. I shall know him. I shall know him when redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him. I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hand. Hope. And sometimes, friends, life deals you and me a bad deal. I always cringe when I say that because I know nothing about cards. <laughs> and sometimes they show these cards thing and people say, Oh, I said, I am curious. <laughs> but what I know is that sometimes life can throw a monkey wrench into our experiences. And perhaps some of you came through that this week. I don't know. Perhaps you're carrying a scar from the past, a hurt. Perhaps you're disappointed with or in. The blessed hope will correct that, friends. Our blessed hope will correct that. That's why Christians do not fight for what they want. They defend what they have been given. That's hope. But what I like about this hope, my friends, one hope, one hope. Fanny Crosby said that over 200 years ago. Talk to Billy Graham today who is getting ready to die right now. And you know what he will tell you? He's looking forward to his coming. The same hope that caused Fanny Crosby to write what she did is the hope that is keeping Billy Graham today. And I, I, thought, I thought of our own congregation. Talk to Ed. Ask him what keeps him going. The hope. Talk to Martha. Ask her what keeps her going. The hope. See, this hope is so precious, friends, that when the world sees us living in this sense of expectation, they ask us the reason for it. They ask us the reason for it. If we are destroyed like everybody else that is destroyed, if we react like everybody else who reacts, then the world has no place to turn. They have no one to hold on to. But when they see people, when they see people able to sing in the face of the pressures of life, the disappointments in life, when they see them holding on, they ask, why are you able to do that? And you're able to say, if Christ was raised from the dead to give me a hope, this hope will take me home to him. That's the value of our hope. 
one hope. Every age, every group, every part of human life, this hope answers to that. Let me quickly go to the essentials. What gives the essence what it is? He said there's one Lord, one Lord. Verses of five, uh, verse 5, one Lord. The word Lord is describing a divine title for Christ. And, and what the apostle is saying, when he talks about Christ or the Lord Christ or Christ, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, that divine title. Lord, kurios, the one who is the sovereign of life. Jesus, Joshua, the one who comes to save us. Christ, the Messiah, the one who came in the promises of God to fulfill the promises of God to the nations. There's not one Christ for this one and one Christ for that one. I will say this again, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the scripture says this, no one can call Jesus Lord except by the Spirit. So when the Spirit, the one Spirit who comes to give us this unity, the first thing he does is to expose us to the person of Jesus Christ as Lord. As Lord. And when the Spirit comes, he doesn't give us a view about Christ that will contradict a view about Christ in someone else's life. He will not give us a view about Christ that is different from that of Spurgeon or Wesley. He will not give us a view about Christ that is different from that of Edwards. What was true of the disciples? What was true of the Apostle Paul? What was true of the early church fathers is this one thing, that there is one Lord. And there is no salvation that takes place on the face of the earth apart from that one Lord. Everyone who calls upon him as Lord shall be saved. That is unique. We have only one Lord. We don't have to, you know, I'm told that, that in India... There are something like 10 million gods. Uh, now can you imagine having to figure out which one is right? I like what G.K. Chesterton says. We, we bark at the fact that God has given us one Lord. If he had given us 10, we would have wanted 11. Because that's the way we are. As human beings, we think there ought to be something that satisfies me. But when we come, my friends, to this business of unity, it is not what I like or I don't like. It is who lives in me and to whom I'm responding. One Lord. I'll come back to that in a minute. One faith. One faith. The word faith is used in several ways in the New Testament, but there are two main ways. It is talking about that way by which we become connected to God. That is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So faith is the means by which we come to know and to believe what God has said in his word. And that's the second way the word is used. That's the content of what we believe. 
and the content of what we believe gives us the foundation of what we are to believe in. And so that word then, that word that is seen in Ephesians 1, 13 and 4, 13, what we believe, the content, the history of our faith. John, in writing in chapter 20, says this, These things I write unto you that you might believe. You were not at the tomb when Christ was raised from the dead. We were there. The Holy Spirit has given us the direction to write it. And you can bank on it that what we are saying, you can believe in. And when you believe it, you become a part of that. So one faith. There's not a different faith for this one. You know, the tragedy of that, the tragedy of that. I think denominations serve their purposes but I am sure that one of, one of the things that are passed away when we get to heaven is going to be denominations. Only for this reason, friends. The tragedy of denominations. The intention was that denominations would give people a way to express themselves because not, not every one of us is, 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 is alike. You would... <laughs> Uh, I'm not a clapper. I, I beat with my feet. See, I'm not, a, I'm not a hand raiser, but my friends, God forbid that anyone who is, who is of one faith, the same faith that I'm in, and the same faith that he or she may be in, that I am offended because he raised his hands, because he clapped his hands. If one faith is not how we express that faith that saves us, it is the faith that saves us, not how we express it. One faith. Again, we go back. John Wesley and George Whitfield were two different men on the opposite side of their doctrine of salvation. They believe in the one Lord, but one says, this is the way it should be. The other one says, this is the way it should be. And, and those, those two thoughts have come to be known today as what is known as Arminianism and Calvinism. Don't worry about it. Someone asked John Wesley, Mr. Wesley, do you think that when we get to heaven you'll see George Whitfield, who was a Calvinist, and John, an Arminian? And I love the answer of Wesley. No, I don't think I'm going to see Mr. Whitfield. He'll be so close to the throne, I won't get a chance to see him. That's unity, friends. When I, when, I, when I don't think that because the way you express your faith is different from mine, that that makes us a, a, a two-party church. No, just one. One faith. One faith. One baptism. One baptism. <laughs> uh, again, you'd be surprised the amount of ink that has been used in trying to say that this is not water baptism or it is water baptism. Go with me again to 1 Corinthians 12. The one baptism. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. 
Paul is talking about the one body. How did we become one body? And I said to you, it's one spirit. It's the spirit who does this. Look, if you please, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, perhaps reading verses 12 and 13. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ, are those who are his. Here it is now. For, because, by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. When the Spirit of God opened our eyes to see the uniqueness of Christ as Savior, and we trusted Him, at that moment, He took us from where we were. This is not something that you and I can see. This is not something that you and I do. It is the Spirit who is at work here. Your faith activates the Spirit so that He places us into the body, the spiritual body, and we become a part of this universal body known as the mystical body of Christ. So that that someone in Africa, someone in Colombia, someone in South America somewhere, someone we do not even know, the moment that person became a believer in Jesus the Lord... The Spirit placed that person. The word here is not to dunk. It is to place in. And please notice, it's not something that man does. We are not placed placed in the Spirit. We are placed in the body. By the Spirit. So that no one can boast about any uniqueness at all as to what the body of Jesus Christ really is. And so that led the Apostle Paul to write then, listen to this, listen to this. One God, one God, who is the Father, sovereign and source for the one body, no matter where that body is, the same God who is our God is their God. And the one Father from whom comes all the blessings from the one Father, He is the source of all that they are as a spiritual body. And and Paul goes on to say, who is over all, that is, He's transcendent, He's far above all. But look at this, almost like a contradiction. And in us all, eminent. Do you know what this is saying, friends? I find this unbelievable delicious. That God lives in you and me. That the residence of God on earth is in his people. In you, in me. Some of us are rich. Some of us are poor. Some of us are educated. Some of us are uneducated. Some of us have jobs. Some of us don't have jobs. Whatever it might be, if we are the body, Christ lives in us. That should make a difference, my friends. That should make the church the most pleasant place for people to be at because we are not culturally brought together. We are spiritually brought together. When a church has a split, It says something that God does not 
endorse. Now, I'm not talking about when the church is not really the church because there are some social things that look like the church, but they are not. Because if, if we can't get along with one another, therefore we split, who knows when you get big enough that you will not be able to get along there and you also split. I like the story of the guy who was marooned on an island. And after 10 years, they came and found him, the only person on the island. And there were three homes on the island. And as those who were rescuing him asked, what are the homes? Oh, that's my home where I live. He said, but there are two churches. Why? Oh, he said, this is the church I attend, and this is the one I used to attend. (laughs) It's in us, friends. It's in us. You see, let me tell you what is at the base of church conflict. Selfishness. Pride. No matter what it is, even if someone is wrong, My friends, can you imagine that if God got rid of us when we did the first sin, any of us would be here this morning? It's not that we put up with anything, but what we desire, if we are able to minister to someone who needs us, we forbear with them in humility. We don't say, come here, you. (laughs) No. One God. One Father. I can say much more. My time is gone. Listen to this. Written way back in 1866. The church has one foundation. It's Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation through water by the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her and for her life, he died. Elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food. And to one hope she presses with every grace endued. Long with a scornful wonder, men saw her sore oppressed. By schisms rent asunder, by heresies distress. Yet saints their watch were keeping to hail a brighter day, hope. When God shall stop their weeping, take the reproach away. When Lois and I had the privilege of meeting Billy Graham in Toronto, in the line with hundreds of other people. As it was our turn to get to Mr. Shea and then Mr. Grime. The one who was conducting the meeting said to Mr. Graham, Dr. Graham, this is Reverend Winston Thurton, and I will never forget that meeting. Not because I met Billy Graham, but because the first word he said to me was, brother. We're one. The body of Christ is one. It matters not who, where, or what. If we have been to the cross, Christ is in you. 
He is in me. That makes us one. Let us pray. Oh God, you know the heaviness of my heart with which this word was given simply because of what I heard coming from Toronto. Oh, grant that Soderville Church will never be torn apart. Grant that as one body, we shall do our best to maintain the unity of the Spirit with humbleness of heart, gentleness of heart, with forbearance with one another. Give us wisdom so that we will display to this world this priceless possession for which they yearn. And then when they ask us the reason for our hope, may we be able to tell them it is what God has accomplished through the cross and it is maintained and sustained by the Spirit to the glory of God. In Christ's name.